All right, let's move on to B priority races. And I, I think usually what I do for a B priority race, um, and so B priority race being this is not your A race, which A races, there's probably only two or three of those in a in a single year. B race is like you want to do well, but it's not it's not the most important thing on your schedule. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about indoor versus outdoor training volume and tapering strategies for different events. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you want to make your training and race day nutrition simple and reliable, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order on all their different nutrition formulas. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, we actually have a few new methods for reaching out. You can hit up our new Matchbox email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast or head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form to send us a question. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so the first question we have this week uh, comes from Xander, and he he's sent in a question about indoor volume and how that correlates with progressive overload. Mm -hmm. So he says, hey, everyone, how would you recommend progressing your fitness throughout the season when you are constrained to trainer rides? Due to the unusually snowy slash wet weather in Utah this year, outdoor riding has been occasional to say the least, I'm already doing 8 to 10 hours a week on the trainer with intensity sessions thrown in 2 to 3 times a week, mainly sweet spot and VO2, but I honestly don't think I can handle my typical 15 plus hour training weeks inside since it's too mentally exhausting to do that volume indoors. I know the weather will eventually get better, sorry Xander if it already has, uh, but considering it's already it's it's already the end of April, I'm not really sure what to do in the meantime besides plateauing my at my current training load or risking burning out with the higher volume indoors. Thanks for the help, Xander. Um, and I, I, the reason, so I mean, Xander, again, we apologize that we didn't get to this two or three weeks ago when it was maybe still end of April for you. But um, the reason that I think this is relevant is there's a lot of people, and we've talked about this plenty of times, that um, it's not just indoor volume, but a lot of people just have volume constraints. Um, yeah. You know, so, so let's, you know, we'll kind of address it here as far as like the indoor um, specificity goes, but then, you know, we can kind of broaden it to the, the general population too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that sometimes when this question comes up and I think this question has come up in one form or another many times on this podcast about the, the, this is just another version of the question. I have limited volume. What do I do? Right. Right. And so I feel like we've gone over it a number of times. And usually when we go over it, I, I, you know, I, I'm like the, the harsh reality guy where I'm like, okay, how about you try to find some more, <laughs> some more volume in your training? Um, and you know, I'm not, and I'm going to be that guy again, I guess, but it's just, it, <sighs> You know, you can try to do these little like tricks with your training to try to get the most out of every hour or whatever. But it's man, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, that is it, it, this this time spent thinking about how to optimize every single hour of your current 10 hour week would be better spent just riding 12 hours, if that makes sense. 
Sure. Do do less homework, do more work. I mean, I you know, so with the with this guy's specific scenario, stuck on the trainer, sounds like he has time to do 15 hours a week, but he doesn't have the mental energy to ride the trainer 15 hours a week, which I completely understand. If I had to ride the trainer for every single ride and couldn't ride outside, I don't know how many hours a week I could do, but it would it'd probably be around 10 before I just called it. Um, I hate the trainer. So, you know, I mean, I, I get it, but this is something that I've, I've brought up on my YouTube channel before. It's uh, people, sometimes people make these calculations like, Oh, you know, uh, one hour of trainer time is equivalent to an hour and a half outdoors or whatever. And I get the reasoning that, you know, the reasoning is like, you don't coast when you're indoors. So, theoretically it could be more time, but you know, you could also just, you could also not coast when you ride outdoors. You could do a a ride on flat ground and never coast once that doesn't all of a sudden make that ride count as more time. Like you can't create more time if it didn't happen. So I'm kind of against doing that on the trainer as well, to be honest with you. Um, and so I didn't provide any solution there, but it's just (laughs) kind of me being like, I don't know, dig deep to find some more, some more hours in your schedule, or maybe dig deep to, you know, have those trainer workouts go a little bit longer than they need to. I think with summer just around the corner here and nice weather just around the corner, I would be putting in a little bit higher amounts of training time, uh, on the, on the trainer, because hopefully you won't be, you know, with what is it? It's probably already nice weather there. Now you probably won't be burned out by the time you're able to ride outside is my guess. Yeah, so you're saying like maybe maybe risk that that burnout just for the last you know few weeks or month or so because by mm-hmm. the time you're like starting to feel a little bit burnt out, you'll get those outdoor rides in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd that that, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I would I would have to ask the question to Xander like if if he's got the, you know an extra five uh, to seven hours a week that he could be training, like uh, maybe find something else to do. You know, like. cross country skiing or trail running or, um, you know, going to the gym for a couple hours or yeah. And I just mixing it up a little bit for sure. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before the most, the, the sport with the biggest crossover to cycling in terms of, you know, fitness crossover is, it appears to be cross country skiing. Oh. What'd you, (laughs) what did you say? Frisbee golf. (laughs) golf. Yeah, for sure. Oh, um, I cross train. So if you, if you live in a place that's snowy, um, and you don't already cross country ski, that's definitely something that I would pick up is cross country skiing. Yeah. So I, I picked up cross country skiing for the first time this winter and I didn't even get to ski like all that much, but I probably put in like 30 to 40 hours, um, mm-hmm. over like a two month span. Uh, and, and I, I, I like came out of, out of the off season, not feeling like I had that much fitness depth, but then like all it took was like two or three decent weeks outside of training, like, you know, 15 plus hours. And I was like super fit. So like it, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, like the, the crossover, what Dylan is talking about, like, it's not going to make you race fit. Like you still have to like get the time on the bike to like actually become race fit, but it like, it definitely contributes to like your, you know, aerobic base a huge amount um and, and i'm i'm noticing that like my fitness depth feels like super strong and, and if i had just skipped those 30 hours or 40 hours and just not done anything like i would be 
I'd be way behind right now. Um, yeah. And if I had if I had spent those forty hours on the trainer, then I'd probably be pretty pretty smoked right now. You know, so like it it, it provided a really good alternative to just hammering miles on the trainer. So that, I mean, that's what I would recommend is like trying to find something else for the next off season that you can mix in for, for that cross training. Um, you know, and, yeah. and, and just know too, that like, if you do, if you, if you can't cross train and you can't put in more than 10 hours a week on the trainer, but you know that come May, you're going to be able to put in 15 plus hour weeks, then maybe you just don't pick any like early summer races as your like mm-hmm. key races. Like you have to just give yourself time to like build that fitness back up, you know, so maybe you wait till July or August for, for some bigger racing to come around. Yeah. Yeah. I only have some like practical advice. Um, it seems like most people who are like stuck to the trainer for the majority of the winter can still find small opportunities to get outside. Like, you know, I know you, Adam live in like the worst place, like for the winter, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Like when I think of that place, all I think about is snow. Um, and even you get out, it seems like pretty occasionally, even when it is like trainer season. Um, so I don't know, just practical advice is like every week I would look at the weekly radar, find which day has the best weather and make your longest ride on that day so that you can maximize the time you're getting outside. And the goal with that would be obviously to get in a big long endurance ride that's not on the trainer. But then I think for the mental part of it, that would be huge too. Like if you can do a four hour ride outside on whatever day is the nicest day and then the rest of your rides are on the trainer, then that I feel like that even just that one ride a week would go a long way as far as motivation and mental. Yeah, Um, that's what I would do. Yeah, for sure. And and maybe we'll do an episode like this in October, like before the off season, so people can kind of prepare for outdoor riding in the winter. Because I've got a lot of advice that I've, you know, like just from experience over the last Mm. few years. Um, But but like block training or, you know, brick workouts, I don't know what you'd kind of, however you'd term it, but um, we're like, I'll do like two hours of cross country skiing, then hop on the trainer for two hours or like two hours of fat biking and then hop on the trainer for an hour. And like that way I can extend the, the workout duration, um, but not like push my limit in one way or the other. And like, and, and then you get like one combined workout that is pretty solid. Um, that's a good way to do it too. It just helps to mix things up. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Uh, it makes it pretty fun too. Um, definitely a better way to do it. Um, anything else to, to add here? I think that I think that pretty much covered it. Would you guys like let's say, you know, someone in Xander's situation, they can only do eight to ten hours a week uh on the trainer, but they're gonna have more time come summer. Um, would you consider something like like doing a bit of like a reverse periodization, like get a bunch of intensity in in the off season and then hit the volume a, harder? I was just about to say that. Um, yeah, I think it depends on what they're training for. Yeah. As to whether or not I'd prescribe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't give us any insight into what his uh, race specificity is. Yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to prescribing that. I would just say that it depends on what they're training for. Sure. Yeah, because that way, like the transition into higher volume isn't also super high intensity at the same time. You know, and that could that mm-hmm. could derail training um, if you're not careful. Um, but that could be something to consider too for for someone like him. Okay, next question here. This one comes from Sean, and he's talking about tapering for key races. So he says, Hi, guys. I have a question regarding tapering for races. I'm 50 years old and have been mountain biking since the late 90s here in Minnesota. I started racing about 15 years ago, mostly for fun. 
The last five years, though, I've gotten more serious with my training thanks to help from your podcast and other resources and, and, and more riding. I'm currently on track for 9,000 miles this year. Holy cow, that's, that's like way more than I train. Um, <laughs> 180 to 200 miles per week, mostly gravel and single track. I rarely take rest days, maybe one every two weeks, but never structured. I just go with what my body tells me. Uh, what should I be doing for longer races such as Unbound 100, Lutzen 99er, Big Sugar, etc.? Should I take off a couple days prior, more than that? Uh, regarding weekend mountain bike races here in Minnesota, most are just 12 to 16 mile sprints, essentially. Should mm-hmm. I rest before those as well? Last year, I did well in the series and many weekends. I did 50 plus mile gravel rides the day before. And I could feel it in the legs the day of the mountain bike races, so that was not ideal. It's hard, though, to take rest days when you are also focused on hitting annual mileage goals. Uh, thanks, mm-hmm. Sean. There's a lot in there. All right. So I, the first thing I want to say, man, is you got to take more rest days, especially at your age. Uh, at any age, to be clear, but especially if you're over the age of 50 years old, you need to be taking more rest days. And I don't know when you say I take a rest day once every two weeks if that means you're doing, you know, recovery rides and you, you know, you don't count a recovery ride as a rest day. I pretty much when it, if I if I do an hour recovery ride, I even though it's technically not a rest day, I pretty much count it as a rest day. Um and I take so if if for for it, context, what what does a recovery a 1 hour recovery ride look like for you? That way it would be uh, Sean here kind of knows to It would be you know, under it's under 55% of my FTP. So what that looks like for me, and you know, this varies depending on what your FTP is, but usually I'm riding around on flat ground for 45 minutes to an hour at like a hundred Watts. Do you ever go longer than an hour? No, I I don't think there's any reason. I mean, people, people can argue about this because there's not really a ton of research on it, but personally, I don't think there's any reason to go longer than an hour for a recovery ride. I literally just had this conversation with an athlete yesterday because he oh, was really? like stretching his easy spins to two hours. No. no. And I was like, I was like, I know you like to ride your bike and I know you want to get the weekly volume. And I told him this. I said, but I think if you take third, two 30 minute chunks from the extra hour you added and put them somewhere else, it would be far more beneficial. Yeah. Here's what your, I keep your one hour yeah. ride under 90 minutes, like max, but I'd rather see it like. 60. Here, here's what I would tell that person because I and I think that this guy may be suffering from the same thing because he's talking about his annual mileage. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, he's very proud of his annual mileage, and this person right. is trying to hit a weekly volume. Yeah, um, that volume at zone one is not very helpful for. Mm. I, I mean, it's helpful for the end of the week seeing a high volume number, but it's not helpful for gaining fitness. The intensity is so low that you're gaining very little from doing that. So that's a good even, reason. Yeah. So if yeah, if, so for example, if they were doing a two-hour zone one easy ride, if they cut that to an hour and then added that hour to a zone two ride somewhere else in the week, that would be Far way more. more beneficial than what they're currently doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like like you know, like junk miles gets thrown around a lot. A one hour recovery ride, I would not consider junk miles. A two hour recovery ride, like a hundred percent, that's just junk miles. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I almost, I, I almost think that for some people, 
who are trapped in this, like trying to get more volume in the week with recovery rides thing. I almost feel like their coach needs to tell them, look, these rest days, you can either do a one hour recovery ride if you have the time and you feel like doing it, or you can take the day off. But if you do that recovery ride, the time spent doing that recovery ride does not count towards your total weekly volume. Mm, I like that. You know, that way they don't overdo it on the recovery day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always put in there, like most of my athletes have a day off, like a dedicated day off and then an mm-hmm. optional either second day off or easy recovery ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've found over, like if, if I have an athlete that I've been with for over a year, most of the time they're taking that second just day off because they, they, they've come to find out that there's really not a whole lot of benefit to doing that hour. Like there's only risk if, if you like go too hard. Um, anyways, we're getting a little yeah. off track here. Yeah, we're a little off track. He wasn't talking about recovery, recovery days. He was talking about <laughs> tapering, um, specifically tapering for long events versus tapering for short events. Now, what I will say about this is that a taper for a long event or a short event can look slightly different, but really what makes a taper different from another taper is how important the race is. Is it an A race, meaning the most important race? Is it a B race, meaning it's kind of important, but it's not the most important? Or is it a C race, which basically means just a training race? That's what really makes your taper different from another taper, right? Is the importance of the race. So, And let me say something. You you can only have a few A races throughout a year. Yeah. I think a big mistake people make is that Every race is an A race. Every race, yeah. Maybe they label them as B races, but they they treat them as like like every race is an A race. I think that's a mistake. So generally with, and I think if we're going to talk about tapering, we should talk about what the taper looks like for these three different races. Let's start with a C race because there is no taper for a C race. A C race is basically just another training day, but instead of a, a workout, you did a race. And hopefully so for, for a C race, would you ever even prescribe openers? No. Okay. Same. I would, uh, a, a perfect application for a C race is le- like, let's say that you normally do a, uh, a, you know, a Tuesday workout, a Tuesday interval session, but now there's a, uh, a weekday night, Tuesday crit, like a, a Tuesday night crit series that's coming up. And there's, it's like four weeks in a row and it's just a Tuesday night crit just replace that Tuesday interval workout with the Tuesday night crit, and there you go. Don't change anything else with your week. Yeah. So I was going to mention this about his local Minnesota races. Um, it sounds like, and if I were his coach, I would say that these races sound like C races to me. I would think, I mean, if and the, one of the reasons I say that is because they don't fit his A races structure yeah. very well. Like sure. his A races are these long unbound 100, Lutz and 99er big sugar like these big long races so if some of these local minnesota races were long hard races like that i'd say okay maybe maybe you could treat a couple of these like b races and maybe you taper a little bit but since they're so short 12 to 16 miles i would consider those local minnesota races c races and it sounds like he didn't like last year going to those races with a little bit of fatigue in his legs he says he would do a gravel rides the day before and he could feel it in his legs and that wasn't ideal i would tell him to even do some long rides like on the day of the race like i have a lot of my athletes if their big goals like priority a races are long races i would tell them like can you ride to the race 
race mm-hmm. and then ride home just to like turn that one little 16 mile race into like a four or five hour day. Um, that's what I would, as his coach would suggest to do with those local races is to drop those into the C category bucket and just go into them with fatigued legs. You know, maybe treat one or two of them like, you know, give them a little bit more priority. Maybe don't do that for every single one, but I'd say for a couple of them do, you know, try to turn those into long days or something like that. But I wouldn't put much emphasis on those short rides because they don't really fit your A goal. Yeah. uh, What they look like, you know? Yeah. I would agree with that for what he's training for. If he's training for longer stuff, if he was training for shorter stuff, I would probably say that, you know, just because it's a C priority race doesn't mean you shouldn't be in a somewhat rested state for it. So for example, if this, if the race is on Saturday, have Friday be your rest day in the week mm-hmm. so that yeah. you're going into the race with not tapered legs, but like you're somewhat fresh. You're as yeah. fresh as you would be for an important workout. You know what I mean? Right. Um, all right, let's move on to B priority races. And I, I think usually what I do for a B priority race, um, and so B priority race being this is not your A race, which A races, there's probably only two or three of those in a, in a single year. B race is like you want to do well, but it's not, it's not the most important thing on your schedule. I usually do about a half week taper for this one. Um, so what, what would that look like? Like, let's say that you, let's say you do a, a, you know, you take Monday and Friday off, um, or, you know, Monday and Friday rest day or recovery ride Monday and Friday, whatever. Uh, so you've got a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday block, and you've got a Saturday, Sunday block. Um, let's say the race is on Saturday. I would probably still do the same workout on Tuesday, but by Wednesday and Thursday, maybe be doing a little bit less volume than I would normally do on those days. And then depending on the importance of the B race and maybe what the start of the B race is going to look like, like, is it a hard start or is it a, a mellow start, like a gravel race type deal? Um, I may or may not prescribe, uh, openers on Friday. If it's a hard start, I'd be more likely to prescribe, prescribe openers on Friday. Yeah. The, I, I agree with everything you said. And practically for me, what that looks like is, uh, I'll try to do as much of my high intensity stuff earlier in the week. You know, like usually maybe I'll do it on like Wednesday or Thursday, but on a week where there's a race on Saturday, I'll try to like shift all of that fatigue creating stuff to like Tuesday or Wednesday so that I've got at least a like two day buffer between my last hard session and, and the, and the race. Um, Mm -hmm. especially with strength training, you know, like if, if you're still strength training while you're doing B races, which I think is a, you know, I think that's, uh, probably, you know, the case for a lot of people, I would, I would push that earlier too. Cause I think things like strength training and running, uh, tend to like the fatigue from that tends to linger even a little longer than our hard bike workouts. So especially for those types of workouts, I would push those even earlier into the week. Like, you know, maybe even do the strength on the same day as your hard workout or the day before, just so it's not affecting the race on the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Cool. So should we move on to a race taper? Yep. All right. Uh, a race taper is probably going to be a full week taper. Um, and there, I, I, I know that some people argue that, you know, an A-race taper can be as long as two weeks. I think there's even maybe some triathletes who do three-week tapers because they train so hard and so, with so much volume that they need that. I think that's 
probably a bit overkill. Honestly, I think that a two-week taper in most cases is a bit much. Um, it's just a very long time to taper. And, and usually what I've found with athletes is that if they taper for that long, they, they, they're very fresh, but they might, they might have lost a little bit too much fitness by the time they get to the starting line. So I, I usually settle around one week. Um, and what that might look like is, you know, the weekend before the race, uh, is probably going to be slightly lower volume than you would normally do, but it's not, you know, you're not doing recovery rides or anything on that weekend. It's just maybe slightly lower volume. And then, uh, and then I'd probably let, let's say, let's just say they're doing a Saturday, a race. I'd probably take Monday off. Uh, I would probably do an opener workout of some sort on Tuesday or Wednesday, and usually what this looks like is it's it's a high intensity workout, but you're not maxing yourself out. So, for example, if you usually do five by four minute VO2 max, maybe you're only doing three by four minute VO2 max. So you're going very hard because it's VO2 max intervals, but you're you should get to the end of the workout and feel like you had quite a bit left in the tank. Yeah. So um, like when you say maxing yourself out, you don't mean the effort level for each interval you mean by the the total you know the the total capacity that you're that yeah. you're putting into that workout yeah right because i think people get that wrong they'll they'll go do like a vo2 max workout at 90 percent, and it's like well right. that that wasn't the point right they did like short threshold intervals instead of vo2 max intervals yeah yep yeah no no, no. You, you still want to be at vo2 max intensity but what i'm what i mean by that is that you should finish the workout feeling like you you could have done you know two or three more intervals yep. easily, but you didn't do that. You you cut it off where you did so that you're not um, so that you didn't build up a ton of fatigue from that workout. Right. And so let's say let's just in this example week, let's say you do that on Tuesday. I would probably make Wednesday a short endurance ride, like an hour hour and a half, and relatively easy endurance. Thursday might be a recovery ride, just an hour, and then do some openers on Friday. Uh, hopefully, you're getting to check out the course on Friday and then race Saturday. Yep, I agree with that completely. I would tell somebody, like, for him who, who's training for, like, an unbound 100-type race, if you're progressing your training volume, like, if specifically on, like, a Saturday ride where you're trying to get up to, like, an unbound equivalent distance or time marker. So, like... For him, maybe it's like a six or seven hour ride is like, that's what he's trying to get up to for volume for one ride. I'd say your last opportunity for that would be at like at the least would be two weeks, maybe even three weeks before that event. But the weekend before like should be what Dylan said, like, don't try to go out and do a an unbound 100 prep ride, like your last opportunity to do your prep ride to like, you know, basically do a mock race style of, of workout would be two weeks before the race. Um, but for a really big race, like unbound 200, maybe even like three weeks before the race. Um, but yeah, definitely not closer than that. I think those really big rides where you're trying to like replicate the race, especially a long race like that. I wouldn't want to do that the weekend right before the race. Yeah. Yeah. Now if we're talking shorter races, so like, you know, cross country Olympic style yeah. um, bike races, the Saturday before is probably a really good opportunity to do like a mm -hmm. race simulation where you're doing yeah. like, you know, yeah. a hard 90 minute or two hour workout. Um, and then I would also probably have that athlete 
up the frequency a little bit with their with their taper like high intensity workouts so instead of just doing just one like dylan said on tuesday or wednesday i'd probably have them do like a shorter higher intensity tuesday and thursday maybe some like easy openers friday even because um, mm-hmm. you really want to keep that engine primed like you're trying to shed the fatigue but you want to keep that the the prime primed engine ready for for race day yeah sweet um yeah i think i think that answers his question pretty well um, cool. This is helpful too for any listeners out there. Like the more context we get, uh, the better answers we can give you. So that this was super helpful. Um, so one last little tidbit here. I think Drew is going to be excited about this one. Uh, so this comes from Tony, and he's a Tony from Training Peaks. He mm. says, "Tony here from Training Peaks. I heard your podcast mentioning wanting ignition custom zones. We are getting don't ready to release. Me. Don't don't play with Tony, dude." He says, we're getting ready to release a feature that I believe will help move you all towards this. Please feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear more along the lines of of other requests that you all have. Uh, So it's pretty cool. Who's Tony think he is? We already got a Training Peaks guy. (laughs) And that guy shut me down. Maybe we need to change our Training Peaks guy to Tony. Tony. I think Tony's our new Training Peaks guy. Um, But yeah, they're they're listening. We're so happy with that. Are there are there any other features that you would want to like throw out there right now that you wish Training Peaks so would have? So many. Um, well, <clears throat> yeah, that one. I think the custom being able to customize your own zones would be nice. Um, I mean, I think for the most part they're pretty dialed, but I've already explained why I think the heart rate thing is jacked. Um, if you put in that your max heart rate is one number and it puts your one of your zones totally over that number. There's something wrong with that equation. <laughs> if I if I literally can't hit higher than 190, why is my well, VO2 zone at 190 so to 200? Is that is that Training Peaks fault though, or is that the <laughs> zone model that you chose? All of the zone their... models are. I've clicked on every single one. Oh, okay. None of them. Right. None of them have a, a zone model based off of max heart rate. They're all based off of lactate heart rate, which gotcha. I don't think is very helpful. Anyways, that's besides the point. Another feature would be. I don't know. You guys know that I'm like all about the mental side of training. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that equation is like the, obviously there's data to fuel the objective side of training. Um, And the only other way we can get the subjective side from like the athlete's point of view and how they're feeling about the training is just like feedback notes. So I try to do that on my own. Like I create all these little notes with questions put in them and I tell my athletes to leave the answers to their questions in the comments. I think there's better ways to do that. Like I've always wanted there to be, instead of me typing out questions and saying, was that fun? And then them answering it in the comments. I wish that there was a way to drag and drop a continuum. And so it would be like, and then all they have to do is like, they can't like click and put it at like a one through five scale. I'd say, did you have fun? And they'd put a four. Um, but they for do. me to be able to customize that, because I know they have that, what did that ride feel like? A one to 10. Yeah. I think a 10 point scale is too big. I think five is, should be the max. 10 is too many numbers. And <laughs> I'm serious. And then they have the little smiley face thing, but yeah. I don't know. I feel like I get it. Like that's an easy way to do it, but I feel like it could be better than that. Um, most people like don't understand that or are you, are you talking about workouts individually or are you talking yeah. about races? Um, both, but I think okay. there should be more flexibility with how those things are like incorporated into it. Like I think the coach should be able to create their own, like be able to create what they're doing with that spectrum of like, Hey, was this a one to five scale? 
I want to be able to create any of my own one to five scales. Like how'd you sleep mm-hmm. last night? One to five. Was that ride fun? So you want to be able to, to like integrate basically your own Google forms. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause on the mm-hmm. Google form, you can do that. You could put right. in there and then put a, a linear scale of one to five. And then I can label what a one is and what a five is. And the athlete just picks one to five. Yeah. I do think that'd be, or, that would or be you helpful. Could do, yeah, or you could do a multiple choice question or, yeah, that's mm-hmm. actually like a good idea. They should go look at Google forms and put that as, and make that as like one of their, like if you were to create something, you could create a form mm. and then that could drop that form. Cause right now all I do is a bunch of like notes. So like Same. I've got a, yeah. I've got a note that I drop in for a post-race evaluation that has questions and then they're supposed to leave a comment. I think there's, it's kind of clunky and not as like integrated as it could be. Um, I've got a weekly update that I put on Sunday for all my athletes where they, that's when they get to like go in and say how they felt about their volume or intensity or where they're lacking, you know, like that's their chance to put some input into the training plan. So I dropped it in on Sundays. Um, but that's again, uh, just a note with questions in the description and then for them. So I feel like it was a little bit more integrated, um, that, you know, I'd get more feedback from athletes. It'd be a little bit better, but that's what I would do. I've always wished there there would be like a customizable continuum scale thing, whatever you call that. I don't think that's very hard. I don't think I'm asking for much. Like I'm not telling yeah, you. No, I think that no, makes I, sense. I think that's a yeah. good idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say one feature that was added not that long ago that has been pretty helpful for me is the, uh, integration of the weather forecast. I don't know if you guys mm. have used that at all with your athletes. Mm, yeah. Um, but that's pretty sick. Cause then it gives me like a seven day insight into like, okay, you know, Luke's not going to be training too hard this week because it's going to snow every day, you know? So like mm. when we stuck to the trainer, right. um, you know, I, th- I think that's been pretty helpful, but yeah, we'll, we'll think about it a bit more. Maybe, maybe we'll do like a, a whole episode on just like enhancements that training peaks can make. <laughs> it's cool to hear that Tony listens to our podcast. Wow. People high up are, we're influencing them. Yeah, we don't know anything about Tony, but if he's not high up, he should be. Training piece, you guys need to promote Tony. Put him in charge of marketing so that he shares our podcasts on y'all's channel. <laughs> uh, okay, sweet. Well, let's wrap it there. This is a fun one. Cool. All right, see you guys. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. 
This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.